Hey, this is Evan Jackson, Video Production Director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Man, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. I am just so thrilled to have had this opportunity to take you through this living history class through the book, through the books of First and Second Chronicles. And we've had some, we've had some tough discussions, we've had some encouraging discussions, and today I want to bring it home. I want to bring it home from an aspect of all those things that we learned, we want to take it to, to our lives, because we are living history every moment, and what we do is going to ripple through, through the ages. You may not think that's true. Um, Maybe you're thinking, nobody really cares. Nobody really cares what I do. The ripples that I make is not going to make a big difference. The the choices I make are not going to amount to anything. I'm just me. Um, This week I got an email from a woman who's, I think she's a a grandmother now. And... uh, it was on my Instagram page. She uh, direct, uh, what's that? Direct message? Z? One of those terms. What a, yeah, ask a millennial how to do this. Uh, and she said, I see that you are a friend to, one of, uh, to, to somebody that I can't get a hold of. She said, Would you please pass this message on? And it outlined the, a time when she was in probably fourth or fifth grade, where um, she came from a, she, told, she said, I came from a broken home. It was a broken home. It was a, it was a troubling home. Uh, not a good situation. And I went to school, and I heard, overheard a teacher talking about how I was just kind of a screw-up to another teacher. And she goes, it, it hurt me so much. I had no self-confidence. I, had no, I did not feel good about myself at all. And then the person that you know was a teacher in that school at the same time. And she came over to me one day, and she put, took my hair, and she pulled it back, because my hair was always in my eyes. She took my hair and put an antique um, hair clip in my hair. And she says, honey, it's just that your hair was in your eyes. Everything else is fine. She says, that act of kindness, I kept that antique hair clip. And I gave it to a teacher who helped my little one in a tough time. And I just wanted you to reach out and tell that person that you know that that hair clip meant the world to me. A hair clip. A hair clip. An act of kindness, a, a moment where you could say, it's going to be okay. You can do this. She goes, another thing she said, like, no one had ever um, given me a boost of confidence like that in my life. The things that we do, the things that we do make a difference. Flip that over. That other teacher had somebody not intervened, and the, the words that were spoken by that teacher that she heard that she was not good enough, that she was never going to make it. I mean, I don't know if the teacher said that, but that's how she internalized it. 
Think about that. Think of the destruction and damage that words and actions can do. And, and the good and, the, and the, the life that words and actions can bring that ripple down through the ages. Through a life. What we do matters. So today's title is Legacy Making. Lisa and I recently uh, sat down and did one of the most jobs any person can do. We finalized our last will and testament. Very epic. But part of that is legacy building. Leaving your stuff. One of the questions they had is like, you know, all the money and all that stuff, all the insurance, that's, but then they said this, like, is there any personal items you want to give to certain people? I was like, we got really nothing. <laughs> that's going to last, Pat. You know, we got nothing. Um, but the concept was legacy. What do you want to give hand on? So I, I gave some of my, my Bibles to my kids. I mean, what else, what else is there, right? Hope we'll have to use that letter anytime <laughs> soon. But legacy building, legacy making. The big idea for this message is this. We have a privilege and responsibility to live our lives in such a way that it leaves a lasting legacy of worship. A lasting legacy of worship. See, our legacy of worship, our lives, I'm just talking about singing on Sunday morning. I talked to somebody the other day, it's like, I don't really like the singing part. I'm like, don't worry about it. Just come and enjoy. Here's the part, here's the point. Our worship, the way we live our lives, the things that we say, the things that we do, how we reflect Christ, inspire those who survive us to live lives of authentic worship. What we do, the things we say, how we live our lives, people are watching you. Hezekiah was a remarkable king used by God to rescue Jerusalem from the Assyrians and bring reform and revival to Judah. He is known for his God-honoring prayer life and remarkable miracles and tragic, and a tragic choice. Remarkable, uh, remarkable miracles, amazing prayer life, and a tragic choice. So the story unfolds in 2 Kings and also 2 Chronicles 28. And begins again in Isaiah, this whole, this whole idea of Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah's godliness was in direct contrast to his father's wickedness. King Ahaz, you've probably heard of him before, uh, was evil, an idol, uh, idolater. Pushed the kingdom of Israel into idolatry more than the, his fathers before him. After his wicked father's reign, Hezekiah committed himself to see things right again in Judah. For the most part, King Hezekiah's faithful walking with God. And then there, um, the, the scriptures say there was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before or after him. That's a pretty good legacy, right? He turned it around. There was no one like Hezekiah before or after. You know who came before? David. Solomon? You know who came after? The guy we talked about yet yeah, last week. Remember? Oh, come on now. So the idea is that there are he is he is actively 
pursuing a legacy. Verifying his place in biblical history, archaeologists found Hezekiah's royal seal in 2010. So before 2010, all we had about Hezekiah was right here. But archaeology found his seal, his royal seal, that proved that he existed. We knew that, but it's nice for them to know that. It was found under the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So Josiah, I mean, Josiah is the other guy we're talking about, but Hezekiah navigated some very difficult times. Has anybody ever here gone through a difficult time? No? No? No hand, I mean, hardly any hands went up. I mean, everybody laughed, but nobody hands went up. Anybody ever navigated a difficult time? All right. Come on. So let's see if your difficult time matches up with Hezekiah's. Now, a few weeks ago, Michael told us about the Assyrians, the, the, in graphic splendor. They were, they were nasty dudes, right? So Hezekiah threw off the Assyrian yoke and defeated the Philistines. Pretty good for a king. During his reign, the ruthless Assyrians aspired, uh, em- excuse me, the ruthless Assyrian Empire conquered many nations. With foresight, Hezekiah decided to fortify Jerusalem against a siege. He fortified the city walls, expanded his military, and built a 1,750-foot-long tunnel to provide a secret water supply. They have found Hezekiah's tunnel. Archaeologists have found it, and it's exactly how long it's supposed to be, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feat of engineering. Thinking, think about this. They had two groups, two crews, digging underneath the walls of Jerusalem and through the bedrock, one on this side and one on this side. And they actually met in the middle. That's, these guys, they weren't dumb. We always think of past generations as being like cavemen or something. Like these people were smart. Um, during his, this time, God was extravagantly blessing Hezekiah and making him a world leader on the level of King David and King Solomon. That's his, that's his legacy of leadership. Now, he also experienced an, a miraculous healing. At one point, King Hezekiah was terribly sick, so ill that Isaiah came to him and told him to get his life in order to write up his will because death was imminent. Yeah, the same Isaiah, that, the, 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 that there's a book in the Bible, Isaiah, that Isaiah came and said, you know what, dude, you're, you're, you're a goner. You better get your house in order. It's, you're done. He was, so sick that the, he was so sick that the Babylonians heard about his sickness all the way up. In Babylon, it's a long way. I don't know if you know the geography, but it's a long way, especially without a plane. They heard about his sickness, and uh, the son of the king of Babylon sent letters and gifts and envoys to Hezekiah. So he was very sick. Weeping with his face toward the wall, Hezekiah asked God to be merciful. Now listen to this. Before Isaiah left Hezekiah's room, right, he came in and said, you're going to die, get an order. Started to walk out, Hezekiah started weeping. Before he left the room, 
um, the Lord instructed him to tell the king his prayer has been heard. Isaiah said to Hezekiah that you will go to the temple three days later and you will live an additional 15 years. That's like, that's like some fast food prayer answers. I mean, that's, that's quick. But here's the interesting thing. Hezekiah's legacy might have been stronger had he not lived those years. Care for what you ask for. Second Chronicles chapter 32. That's where we're going to spend some time today. So if you have your Bible, open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And it says, verse 27 says this, Hezekiah had abundant riches and glory, and he made himself treasures of silver and gold and precious stones, spices, shields, and every des- uh, desirable item. He made warehouses of the harvest of grain, new wine and fresh oil, and stalls for the ki- all kinds of cattle and pens for the flocks. He made cities for himself, and he acquired vast numbers of flocks and herds, for God gave him abundant possessions. Many of us, one of the American dreams is to own a house. It's nice, right? Own a house. Live in your own house. This dude owns cities. He's like, he built for himself some cities. Oh, well, as, as other people do. Right? As we, no. no, this is a crazy amount of wealth. This is big. Uh, so let me ask you this question. We have this amazing blessing of God. We have a miracle. So what was Hezekiah's tragic choice? What was his choice? In Hezekiah's tragic end, a warning and a promise, J.D. Greer wrote this. He wrote this. Hezekiah had passed the test of adversity, but he failed the test of prosperity. I'm just going to let you sit with that. And I want you to, I want you to substitute the name Hezekiah for, for America, for our culture. We'll say it again. Our culture, this country, has passed the test of adversity. That's how we got started. But we are struggling. I'm telling you right now, we are struggling with the test of prosperity. And this is a word we talked about a couple weeks ago. We kind of really drilled on that. In pride, the king showed the son of Babylon, their ambassadors, and all the precious things in Jerusalem. God had given him all these things. And he said, I want to show you all that I've done, all that I've accumulated. So in pride, his, his, his heart was lifted up in pride. He showed the people of Babylon all the splendor and glory that was Judah at that point. His personal treasures, the riches of the city, and everything in his arsenal. He laid it all out. There, it says, it quotes, in 2 Kings 20, it says this, There was nothing in his palace or in his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. We all know that guy. You know, you go, <laughs> they want to show you everything that they have. 
Hezekiah took what God had given him and he presented it as if he had done something when it was all God. So Hezekiah is failing the test of prosperity. I think that's a struggle we have today. We have this amazing culture. We have this amazing world. We have this amazing country. We have all these blessings. We get all this technology. We get all this stuff. And we've, we fail to worship God with it, to thank God for it. So hearing of this, Isaiah went to Hezekiah again and rebuked him for his foolish pride and endangered Jerusalem and God's people. The prophet made a terrible prediction in 2 Kings 20. It says, everything Hezekiah had shown the Babylonians would be taken from him. Now, I just want to remind you, what did he show them? Everything! Everything that he showed the Babylonians would be taken from him. Carried off into Babylon. Even the king's descendants will be taken to serve the, as eunuchs in the Babylonian palace. Isaiah's prophecy came true during King Jehoiakim and King Zedekiah's reign. The king should have been horrified by this prophecy. But his response showed another fault. Hezekiah only was concerned about peace and safety during his own lifetime. 2 Kings 20.19 says, this is in response to Isaiah. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, after this whole prophecy, they're going to take everything. It's all going to Babylon. Guess what? It's going to happen to your kids. This is what he said. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. This is what Hezekiah's response to. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Why is it good? For he thought, why not if there will be peace and security during my lifetime? That is not legacy making. As long as it doesn't hurt me, whatever. As long as I don't, I don't have to suffer, whatever. Hezekiah has a hard time. All right, all that was just the introduction. Buckle up. Here we go. Which brings us to the main text of our sermon. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, starting in verse 33. And it says this. Hezekiah rested with his fathers and was buried on the ascent of the tomb of David's descendants. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem paid homage to him in his death. His son Manasseh became king in his place. 33, chapter 33, here we go. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the decessible practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had torn down and reestablished the altars for the Baals. He made Asherah poles, and he bowed and worshipped to their stars in the sky and served them. He built altars. Now this is going a whole new level. 
He made Asherah poles. Okay, yeah, yeah. He built altars in the Lord's temple where the Lord had said, Jerusalem will be my, where my name will remain forever. He built altars to the stars in the sky and both courtyards of the Lord's temple. He passed his sons through the fire and Ben Hadam Valley. You know what that means? He took his sons and burned them to death on an altar to a pagan god. Remember what it said before? Hezekiah. There was no one like him before or after. Yeah. His son is taking it to a whole new level. He practiced witchcraft, divination, and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did huge amounts. I love that. Huge. He did huge. How much evil did he do? Huge amounts of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Manasseh set up a carved image of the idol, which he, made, which he had made in God's temple that God had spoken about to David and his son Solomon. I will establish my name forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribe of Israel. I will never again remove the feet of Israel from the land where I stand here, uh, uh, stationed your ancestors. If only, all those promises have an if, if only they will be careful to do all I have commanded them through Moses. All the laws, statutes, and judgments. So Manasseh caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations of the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites came. They were doing worse. I'm telling you guys, this is as much on Hezekiah as it is on Manasseh. Now you can't tell your kids, you can't make your kids do what they're supposed to do, but I'm telling you, if you are not breathing life into your children, if, if we are not people who are reflecting God's glory to the world around us, then we are not thinking long term. We're just thinking about our own life. So many Christians, I think, uh, talk about like, you know, when we all get to heaven, like, you know, as long as I get there, I'm good. No! What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What if it, what does it profit a man? I would say it this way. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And heaven too. But none of his family's there. None of his co-workers see heaven. What does it profit a man? Are we so self-centered that we think redemption is for us is good enough there's a problem in our culture it's a very me-centric culture and even the church has kind of pushed into this concept of you know we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus and that's true That's very true. But it's not the whole thing. We are supposed to be 
living that personal relationship out. We're supposed to be living what God has put. When we talked about earlier, if God has given you blessings, thank him for it and live in it. There's a, there's a, a, a parable that Jesus gives. He said, no one lights a candle in a dark room and then hides that candle under a, a, a bushel, a basket. No one does. That's craziness. I mean, that's, the, that's what Jesus is trying to get out. It's like, that's nuts. No one does that. What's the point of lighting the candle if you're not going to let it shine? He says, I've given you the light not so that you can keep it to yourself, but so that you can spread it, so you can make a legacy for the generations, for the people that are around you, for the ones that are coming up after us. So Manasseh gets himself in trouble. He grieves God. And there's more about it. It just keeps going, actually. The, the chapter just keeps talking about how awful Manasseh is. But in verse 10... It says this, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they did not listen. So he brought against them the military commanders of the kings of Assyria. Remember those people? They captured Manasseh with hooks. And they dragged him, bound him, with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. And like so many of us, when we hit rock bottom, I mean, uh, people, people talk to me, I heard some amazing, uh, Albert and I were talking this morning about testimonies. There's some amazing testimonies out there. But I've heard some testimonies of people. I didn't turn to God until I hit rock bottom. I needed to hit rock bottom before I could look up. And that's true. And sometimes it takes that. I wish it didn't always take that. I wish it had enough foresight or an example that we could look at that would keep us from going there. But like so many, in verse 12 it says this, when he was in distress, and yeah, when you get hooks through your skin and you're dragged off, that's, that's rock bottom. <laughs> I don't know. Has anybody dealt with it? I don't know. When he was in distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and earnestly humbled himself before God of his ancestors. And God said, sorry, dude. You're the worst. You're the worst. No, literally, you're like the worst. Of all the kings, the kings of foreign, you're awful. Why do you think I sent the hooks? When Manasseh called out the guy, he said, no, I'm not going to listen to you. Does that sound like your God? What did God do? He granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Talk about, I mean, I'm telling you folks, if God can save Manasseh, there ain't nothing that you've done in your past that God cannot restore. Come on now. 
I love these people who come in. They'll come in during the week, and they'll, they'll talk to me in the, in the cafe. Uh, I said, why don't you come to church? I said, no, I can't come to church. I'm, a, I'm afraid your, your ceiling will fall in. I'm that guy. I don't go to church because I'm afraid, I'm afraid, you know, that I'll hurt somebody by, you know, God, God will judge me and I'll, you know, you'll be collateral damage. I'm like, dude, just come to church. If God can save Manasseh, it's an encouraging thought. It says, so Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. Verse 14, it says, after this, he removed the foreign gods and the idols from the Lord's temple along with all the altars that had uh, built on the mountain of the Lord's temple and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside the city. He built the altar of the Lord and offered fellowship and thanksgiving sacrifices on it. Then he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. However, however, the people still sacrifice at the high places but only to the Lord, their God. So here's the, this brings us back to like week two of this, of this series. He said, I want you guys to worship the Lord. And they said, okay, we're going to do the same things we did, but we're just going to switch the names. You can't worship God in a pagan way. We talked about that. We know that the, the worship of these idols was detestable to God. So now, because they haven't had a good example, they haven't had a legacy in the generation, this is 55 years now, they don't know how to properly worship God, so they just changed the names. We were talking about this around the fire last night. Dude, the guys had a fire last night. We had meat. We were cold. It was cold. But we, had, we were all huddled around like a little fire. Like, oh, this is so much fun. But we ate food. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I said last night, I don't know what it was in that decaf coffee, but I was, did not sleep last night at <laughs> I'm very sensitive to caffeine, apparently. I don't know. But we talked about it last night, how even the ch- in church history, this is exactly what we did in our church history. When the church started getting bigger and... Uh, started to become institutionalized and started to become the, the national, uh, the, the imperial church. They said, everybody's got to worship Christ. And they said, okay, we'll worship Christ, but we're going to do it the way we did it. So they just changed the names. We were in, when Lisa and I went to the Vatican in Rome, the, we, we, didn't, we didn't actually use a Vatican tour guide because we didn't want the propaganda of it. So we took an, another tour guide, and he goes, I want you to look at this. And he showed us a place where a statue of a pagan god was, the name was chiseled off, and a saint's name was put on instead. See, see the difference? They, they were worshiping Christ, but they were doing it, and a lot of our, that's, that's, why, that's why this, guys, that's why we talked about it last week. This is so important. Because the traditions of man are always that. They're not God. They're not God's word. So anyway, the legacy was not built. So these people were worshiping God, but they were doing it in detestable pagan ways. Even though there were mercy, even though uh, through his mercy and the change of heart of Manasseh, the people of Israel continued to turn away from the Lord. Many times, grace and repentance are just the beginning 
of redemption. Think about that. Grace and repentance is just the beginning of, the re- of, of redemption. It's a lifetime. Changing our way can take time. And unfortunately, we can not give all the time. We don't have all the time in the world. For the reign of Manasseh, he led the people astray, and he even called... Uh, And even he could not redirect them wholly. Our responsibility to God and others should never be taken lightly. What you do, what you say, how you live your life matters. People are watching. We can influence others for bad and good. Manasseh, verse 29 excuse me, verse 20. Manasseh rested with his ancestors and he was buried in his own house. His son Amon became king in his place. Now you think Amon, man. His dad's had a change of heart. Amon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight just as his father Manasseh had done. Amon sacrificed all the carved images that his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. But he did not humble himself before the Lord like his father Manasseh humbled himself. Instead, Amon increased his guilt. So his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. That's swift justice. I'm gl- Is it bad to say I'm glad they didn't have a 50-year reign to... Because this this is what happens here. Ready? I'm not saying that was a good thing to assassinate. Please don't. Pastor is all about assassination. No, I'm not. Everybody's uh, um, Siri and Android are listening right now. I'm going to get put on a list or something like that. Um, The servants captured, uh, conspired against him and put him to death in his own house. The common people rose up and killed all who conspired against the king. I thought that was kind of interesting. And they made his son, Josiah, king in his place. Remember Josiah? We talked about him last week. I think one of the reasons why Josiah becomes such a great king is because the influence of his father was cut short. He was only eight years old when he became king. And he had other mentors in the temple that brought him up well. And what kept Josiah from following in his father's path? I'm going to tell you this. We talked about it last week. What kept Josiah? His love for this. Remember? They found the book of the law in the temple and they brought it to him, and, he, and he, he heard it, and his heart was just broken, and he ripped his clothes, and he says, we need, to, we need to do this. We're not doing this right. And why was that? Because they were worshiping God, but because of Manasseh, they were worshiping God in pagan ways. And he goes, whoa, oh, man, we're, we're, we're not doing it right. When they read the book of the law, it, it, it like tugged at his conscience. We're not doing this right. We need to do it the way God wants us to do it. And then we can expect the blessings of God. Things we do and the things we don't do 
have ripple effects into the generations that follow us. It's not enough for us to live a good life. Our kids don't need our wealth and influence. They need our God. Men, listen to me. We had a great time last night around the fire. Listen to me, guys. Your kids don't need your money as much as they need you. They don't need your money or the things that you can get them more than they need your time. They don't need a bigger house. They don't need a nicer car. They don't need more toys. They need to see how you serve your God. Up front, in their face, every day, living it out. When you make a mistake, you say, I made a mistake. I was wrong. The Bible says I was wrong, therefore I am wrong. What? Tell my kids I'm wrong? Yeah! Because guess what? Someday they're going to be a dad and a mom. And they need to know that this is important enough for dad to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Even dads, dads, are subject to the word of God. Even moms. Lisa and I, were at, we, went on a, we went on a date. We had a night, my kids went to... Um, my in-laws' house for a pumpkin party. And we love the pumpkin party because it's done at their house. <laughs> so Lisa said, what do you want to do for a date? What do you want to do? We went out for dinner. She's like, let's do a teenage date like we used to do when we were, when we were dating. So we went and played mini golf. But we went out to dinner. And I know I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it afresh and new because it happened just, what's today, Sunday? Two nights ago. Sitting in the restaurant, and there's a table of people right next to, like down, down the way. Every single one of them had their, their phones out. Every single one. What is the point of buying an expensive meal at a restaurant and nobody looks at each other? It's, it, guys, that is a cultural craziness that's that's crazy we've we've lost the ability to to talk to share so i so i got i said lisa can attest to this i said all right lisa i had my phone on, my, on the on the table i'm like put this in your purse i don't even want it on the table i don't want to be i got this stupid thing on my wrist now it tells me everything oh um i'm like just put it in your phone i don't want it i don't want any distraction from you tonight Guys, we gotta. We, they don't need more tech. They need this. They need eye to eye. They need shoulder to shoulder time. They need to learn what you have learned about your God and how important he is in your life. They need to see what it looks like to live out a life that is devoted to Jesus Christ. They need someone who teaches them what is right and wrong. There is such a thing. This live your truth crap is crap. Pardon me. And why it's right. 
around from a, uh, and why it's right from a biblical perspective. They also need us to model in front of them what it looks like to fall forward, to mess up and be quick to our knees. We need them to stumble in on us having a quiet time with God. One of the most impactful things for me was waking up early on a, on a given day and going downstairs in my stocking feet, my little jammies, and walking in to my dad's office looking for somebody and seeing him praying before anybody else was awake. That had a huge impact on me. People, especially kids, are amazing hypocrisy detectors. If you say you believe something and you don't live it out, your coworkers will smell your hypocrisy coming a mile away. Hypocrisy. They'll smell your hypocrisy. Your kids most definitely will. And I'm going to end with this because Ariel's going to kill me. You might ask this, Pastor, does this mean I have to be perfect or put an act on of perfection? When I, when I go out the door in the morning, do I have, can, can I just be me? Do I have to be perfect? Do I have to put a, an act on all the time? No. The answer is no. Precisely the opposite. What you're living with, include, it, uh, include God in it and show people what it looks like to, to be depressed but know the hope of Christ. I go through depression, so do you. Let's, let me tell you how God has helped me, and maybe you could tell me what's happening. You know, walk through something. If, you know, you're struggling with your marriage. Find somebody else. Say, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do at this point. We're struggling. But I know God's got a better way. We can do this. Live out real life in light of a real Redeemer, a real Lord, a real Father. Be real and let them know that you fail and fall, but that being right with God, worshiping him for who he is, and being an authentic Christ follower is worth a lifetime of pursuit. And when you are confronted with your uh, failures and shortcomings, where you don't measure up to Christ's standards, you will turn back into the gracious embrace of your Lord and Savior just like Manasseh did. What we do, what we say, how we live our lives. Okay, let me say, what we do, what we say, how we say it, and how we live our lives has ripple effects for everybody around us. It could be the simple act of giving a little girl who feels worthless and hopeless an antique barrette it probably wasn't even an antique. It probably she thought it was. And pulling her hair out from her eyes and saying, honey, the only problem was that you couldn't see very well. You're going to do great. Ripples through a life. Lord, thank you that we don't have to be perfect before you because when we turn to you, you redeem us. God, perfection is impossible, but that's why you came, to redeem, to save. So help us not get stuck in that, but Lord, help us to live a life that reflects you to the world around us in an authentic way. Help us to be uh, engaged 
in this process. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our children as you see them and know that it's parenting is hard. It takes a lot of time. It's going to be difficult sometimes. We're going to have to eat some humble pie. But Lord, living out a life in front of them, being careful how we apply the Word of God to every circumstance will speak volumes to those who are watching us at home, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. God, we are living history. And those who come behind us will be affected by how we live it. So God, I pray that you would be at the center. Forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings and help us by your Holy Spirit to live a life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.